Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Only Podcast. I am your co-host, Austin Smith, joined as always by your other co-host, John Kirby. You can find us on Twitter at ACSmith06 and at John underscore Kirby. And as always, follow the mothership at The Only Colors. Today is Wednesday, May 20th, a random day, a random time. I am told time's still moving forward. Um, John, we're back. Sports are not yet, but we are. It's good to, good to hear from you. Yeah, man. I mean, we thought that there was, there was enough, uh, news and notes to go through here that we could put together an hour of solid content, you know, that's and that's right. what you guys come for. Just great content. We're always churning it out as you know. So, well, listen, our precedent during summers is just basically to do nothing at all. So if anything, people should be thrilled with the frequency with which we're still recording, casting, whatever, is, or streaming, whatever. Is it, it be. technically summer until Memorial Day? I don't think we're hit. We've hit summer yet. So we're not we're not off the hook yet, is what you're telling me. <laughs> Shit. Uh, well, in that case, uh, we're just as disappointed as you are. But um, good to be back. Like John said, I think we got a, a solid hour of of good stuff here to talk about. Maybe even pick a new game to stream. Um, but guys, we're not the only ones that are back. We have some potentially large news of somebody else who might, maybe, might be back. In one Josh Langford. Yeah, we got a, a situation on our hands, a good one at that. Um, it boil it down here. We got three roster spots and four very, very capable uh, players, three of which have a the first right of refusal to those scholarships. You mentioned Josh Langford who has kind of been on the back burner for a while, and everyone, I think, maybe just assumed that he had played his last game in a Spartan uniform. And, you know, we've mentioned it a couple of times that it just wasn't – it just wouldn't quite go away. And Izzo would unprompted bring it up. And here we are at the end of May where he has long um, kind of been waiting for the end of May, the beginning of June, to make his decision on if he's capable of playing uh, a full collegiate year. Yeah, and I, I think it what was interesting about that today, uh, in you know, it broke, I think it was on Graham Couch's show. He was the one talking about um, how this, you know, might be an option. Uh, and I thought really one of the interesting, the most interesting part was that Izzo, you know, he's usually pretty cautious when it comes to this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did come out and say it'd be nice for him 
What level he'd play, I don't know, but I tell you, I lost my last, second best player last year. There's no question. So I think he's at the same time acknowledging, yeah, I lost a, like he was easily our second best player last year. And then additionally, I think he's kind of doing a smart thing and setting parameters around, I don't know what level of Josh Lankford we're going to get. I think because the natural inclination for, you know, you hear that, that somebody of, of his caliber is coming back and you immediately think, oh, he's, he's going to be that 15 point a game guy again. Is was doing the smart thing here, and while he may end up being that guy at some point again, uh, kind of tamping down expectations because honestly, we just have no idea physically what you're going to get from Josh Lankford. Yeah, he's the ultimate, I guess, wild card, and you know, his ceiling, as we know, um, is the best player on not for an entire season, but certainly there we've seen him. In high-profile games, him be the best player on the floor. And, you know, I guess what you have to kind of hedge is, you know, he's not going to be that. Um, But that's your best-case scenario. The worst-case scenario is still pretty damn good. The worst-case scenario is probably more of a um, rotational player that is not going to be afraid of the moment, who has played in a lot of big games, and can probably give you um, really – strong um, bench minutes throughout the slog of a season. So yeah, um, it's a great situation. Like the worst case situation is very strong and that's something to keep it, you know, that we can keep an eye on. Yeah. Maybe it's, you know, I think he raises MSU's floor pretty significantly. Um, but listen, I think no matter what happened, even if no additions were made, you know, you assume, Maybe just Aaron Henry comes back. You still lose Xavier Tillman, Langford. Kind of you go with your base set of expectations that you had going into this offseason. I still think you're bringing back, uh, you know, what borders on a top 10-ish team. Uh, maybe even higher than that. Kind of depends. Um, but if you bring back Josh Langford and then maybe even a guy like Xavier Tillman or Aaron Henry, uh, you know, you're talking about somewhere, I mean, I don't know, I think you're comfortably in the top 10, even if he's not a starter. I think one of the things you, you know, people were probably discussing more than anything, uh, previously was what is the rest of this, you know, the hottest topic was what does the rest of this backcourt really look like, um, beyond Rocket Watts? And then, you know, I'm not even, I guess, you know, that two spot is even really up for consideration at this point. And so I think having a guy like Lankford, who while he may not start, would uh, kind of enable you to bring a really good scorer off the bench, helps shore up a lot of those backcourt problems. And I think the only thing he doesn't really address or, or, you know, wouldn't necessarily solve for would just be that backup point guard spot. You're still going to have to probably roll with Foster Lawyer. Uh, For all of his strengths, Josh was never, you know, a tremendous creator uh, or a tremendous ball handler. So that's, there's definitely still gaps here on the team, but, uh, Getting a guy back like that would just be a huge boost, not only for for players, but for coaches and morale as well. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, this is the guy that in his last competitive season, 2018-2019, he played in 13 games and averaged a little under 29 minutes a game, averaging 15 points, uh, 3.6 rebounds, 2.3 assists, and almost a steal while shooting over 40% from three. Say you cut the minutes even in half. If, it, if you had an auto guy that off the bench that is um, 
you know, seven and a half points a game. You know, that that's a way different situation than, than rolling AJ Hoggard out there as a true freshman and right. saying, we need to go, you, we need you to step right in right now. Um, so, I mean, that's again, that's the if Josh were to come back and the worst, that's the worst case scenario. That's pretty pretty relieving for a backcourt that we frankly thought was kind of thin um, yeah. up to this point, um, especially with the Kareem Main in limbo situation. So, um, yeah, that's. That's just one of the, um, I guess, pending roster spot. Uh, yeah, and you kind of you kind of set it up front that there's kind of three, you know, four guys for three roster spots where it looks like Langford, Henry, uh, and uh, Tillman are kind of the returning faces, and then you've got uh, Maine, who is you know, somebody that is, is definitely still kind of in limbo out there. You don't really know what his, his deal is. I think what's interesting about Kareem Maine is that um, it's funny because I think the current read, if you were to talk about those four guys, the current read is probably pro lean for Maine, pro lean for Tillman, return lean for the other two. However, I, I think it's interesting that there is kind of that last spot and it's interesting to consider, you know, what might happen with that, uh, last spot should those tendencies kind of hold out. So, um, but let's just say that MSU has the opportunity to get three of them back, John. If you had to choose which three of those four players you would have return, uh, who do you think you would go with? And this is binding and we will judge you for it. It's it's the the three guys who have already worn a Spartan uniform for me. I, even if I don't know what I'm going to get from Josh Langford, there is so much value in having um, more than one senior on the team because that's that's what it is. You know, uh, Xavier Tillman really being the only the only senior that would be on the squad is pretty incredible. So, um, you know, having another voice um, of leadership um, for an otherwise, I don't, they were, they're not a young team because it's so junior heavy, but I think there's just so much value in having um, a guy like Josh Langford because I just don't see um, currently right now, you know, not saying it's, it's, it's cut and dry, but Joey Hauser, he's, he's new, you know, I don't know if he can step up and be in that leader. Aaron Henry, it could he potentially? Um, I don't see Foster Lawyer getting enough minutes to be able to be a true leader. Gabe Brown, maybe he you know matures into into a a role where he can play even more minutes and becomes a leader. I don't know Marcus Bingham. I don't see it. Thomas Kithier, I don't see it. So you can kind of see where it's like I would just value Josh for a different reason than maybe having a Kareem Maine who might even be more productive from a basketball standpoint. But mm-hmm. um, just for me, the team has enough. There's enough guys that can put the ball in the basket. That's not an issue. You know, what we're looking for is, you know, a top 10. We have a top 10 team-ish right now. Um, and that's if And if Xavier Tillman returns a, a, a team that can compete for the NCAA championship, then you need that difference maker, the grit, the leadership, for me, that's what puts you over the edge. That's just my opinion. Uh, it's not a knock on Kareem Maine. It's partly because I just don't know enough about him. But but how about you? What do you think? 
Well, I think that that's part of it. That's part of it. Cause I would probably just, you know, inherently agree with that. Um, because I think part of it is the devil, you know, versus the devil, you don't like we've seen Josh Lankford be great. We know what he can do. We know he knows what to do. There's no learning curve for him when it comes to where am I supposed to be? How am I supposed to, you know, execute when I'm on the court? That's not going to be a problem for him at all. Uh, Maine, obviously there would be a learning curve. Now he seems like a super talented kid. So who knows how sharp that would be, but there, there is none of that when it comes to uh, Josh Lankford. So that alone is, is definitely intriguing. The other part is, you know, if you're looking at it with both of them and you're assuming, all right, I'm getting one year, you know, I'm getting one year of these guys. I like, even if, like you said, Maine might even be more productive, but if I've got to give minutes to a point guard, uh, I would prefer to give those crucial minutes to somebody that I know is going to be around for more than a year and a guy like AJ Hoggard. Uh, to me, you know, if you can have Josh Lankford, it's not going to require these crazy minutes for Hoggard. So he's going to be able to kind of come around and, and fight through those freshmen, uh, you know, the, those freshman learning curves. And it, it's almost like your investment of time and resources and energy with him could actually pay off in years two and three and potentially four. Whereas Maine, you know, whether he comes around or not, in all likelihood, it sounds to me because of his age and his skill level, obviously, he's probably gone after one year. Nothing wrong with one and done. Mm-hmm. They happen all the time. Very talented player. But uh, to me, it would probably be uh, the same three that you said uh, for for those reasons. So, um, you know, who who knows? I think, well, I will say up front, really, the choice just boils down to Langford or um, Maine to me. Henry and Tillman are, are number one and two with a bullet because uh, we just they they would deliver such they give you such great um, diverse skill sets and we already know that they can be star players in the Big Ten so to me it's kind of a no brainer that those are choices one and two but three and four I think there's definitely merits on both sides and quite frankly I don't think if you're Michigan State you could be very upset about getting either of them you know what's you know what's crazy is. Um, I look at potential roster and, you know, I think you mentioned Tillman being a pro lean and that probably is very likely. Um, he did mention he is a 50 50 to return, which was a lot higher than I would have expected, but that's great. You know, um, still going through all of the evaluations from afar, you know, the NCAA and NBA are have indefinitely postponed their early withdrawal date for draft prospects. So Frank, that was June 3rd originally. There's not a new date that at least I've seen. So everyone's just kind of hanging out in the ether right now. <laughs> no one has to make a concrete decision. Right. And that's, you know, we, we just don't even have a date. I don't believe on when we will know what will happen next. Um, but I look at this roster and I say the even the potential roster and, you know, even if you take Tillman out in Henry returns and let's say Langford is able to play, every single scholarship player is, I, I see them getting minutes. Like this isn't even, right. this isn't a, I mean, even the true freshmen, you know, Hoggard and, and uh, Maddie Sisaku, these guys are going to play. And like when you have 12 man rotation, that's kind of wild. But I am looking yeah. up and down the roster, like, you know, 
Watts is going to play 30 a night. Hauser is going to play 30 a night. Henry will play 30 a night. And then the bigs, Bingham, Marble, Maddie, and Thomas Kiffier. I mean, who do you, I don't see any of them not playing. Yeah, I mean, I think when you get when you get into that minutes breakdown, I think it's going to be it's one of those things with Izzo too, though, where you know he it feels like he's the type of guy that works better with limited resources. So this is once again one of those, uh, uh, you know, his choices are almost so ridiculous that um, you just hope he can manage it and eventually tighten up the rotation. You almost just hope like that his guys. Um, you know, play themselves into minutes rather than having to make him make that decision because we know he's not he's not great at it. But then again, flip side, I'd rather have a bunch of guys that can play than, than not. So I'm not complaining by any stretch. Sure. And I, I didn't even mention, you know, Malik Hall, Gabe Brown, who can play, you know, yeah. three and four in a pinch. Age, and then there's, you know, Foster, who will, who will play backup point guard, um, likely. You know, and then Hoggard, who it's just like every single guy. I don't even know where you shave minutes, but that's a great problem to have. Um, you know, we'll see. <laughs> uh, not, maybe not for a while, but we'll see how this all kind of shakes out. Yeah, one quick thing because you mentioned um, you mentioned how the NBA has kind of postponed their their drafts and all of this all of this type of. Um, like pre-draft workouts and stuff like that. I think that in a like I thought at first that that would work to Michigan State's disadvantage with Tillman, where he's like, you know, that this is something that I'm gonna just go do because I don't know when the next opportunity is gonna be. But I, the longer this goes on, I kind of think it works in Michigan State's favor because it becomes more and more uncertain. Like, you, you yeah, there will be you know an NBA season, obviously, but the the amount the ability to get exposure in front of the right people, especially if the NBA restarts uh, in Orlando in this bubble, the way that they keep talking like they're going to do like that. Mm-hmm. Where are these NBA's resources going to go? Are, are like, is Dave, Xavier Tillman going to be able to have a showcase? Is he going to be able to get the type of exposure that as somebody on that first and second round bubble, like he's going to need to get himself firmly into the first round discussion. Like, I just don't know if he's going to be able to get, what he needs to to put himself in the best position to succeed, whereas he knows if he sticks around, he'll get the opportunity to shine for a whole nother year and his case will be made. So I, I just wonder how much of that is I can not I don't blame him for saying I'm 50 50 because there's just so much that's unknown that I don't know how you could be anything but that right now. You're absolutely right. Yeah, it's um much like the rest of the world, everyone is just in a holding pattern and no one really knows what their, <laughs> the future of their career holds. So, um, that well, was a bummer of state. Uh, um, let's see. Some other stuff happened in the Big Ten. Um, indeed. The, the, yeah, there's <laughs> the school down the road is having uh, a lot of attrition, um, transitions. They lost another scholarship player, the third, I believe, in Cole Bajama, who is uh, transferred to Washington and then picked up Purdue's Nojel Eastern um, within 24 hours of him leaving West Lafayette. Matt Painter 
clearly in his feelings uh, about that move, perhaps knowing where he was going to end up. I I don't want to read too far into it, but that was surprising to me that there was an interconference transfer that happened so quickly. Well, yeah, and it's just so rare. Like, it just doesn't happen that often. Um, I think it speaks to a a few things. First, Matt Painter is – I think he's easily the most sensitive coach in the Big Ten. Like, he just seems to be irritated or upset pretty much all the time. So um, that that seals the deal for him because he also was getting mad about uh, Isaac or Matt Harms, Isaac House, Matt Harms uh, leaving for mm-hmm. what ended up being what? I don't even remember where he ended up going. BYU, I think. BYU. BYU. Um, yeah. So he's had a tough off season, and he he did a lot of like you know moaning about the fact that other guys in the past, like Jawan Johnson and all these guys, have stuck around and done all these things, and he just kind of railed on these kids. Like, uh, say what you mm-hmm. want about Tom Izzo, I don't necessarily think you would really get that from him. Uh, it's a very old man screams at cloud type of take. Um, so I think that was interesting. And yeah, I, I do wonder, you know, how much of this was predetermined by the fact that it was in conference. And, um, I don't know. I'm just, I, I was generally taken aback by most of it, but I think what the thing it really calls into, uh, it, it really just all harkens back to, um, Michigan missing out on Josh Christopher and Isaiah Todd because their roster is like just was thrown just completely for a loop in that when those two things went down because now not only did they get Nojel Eastern they got uh I think his name is Chondi Evans or something like that from Wake Forest right. the grad transfer so their their roster is you know it's almost June and their roster is very far from settled so it's it's an interesting time uh down there to be sure. But no jail Eastern. Um, I mean, I think we know from a defensive standpoint, what this kid can do. We've seen it, but to not only transfer, but to not get like the auto transfer, like he's sitting out for a year. He's not like coming there to play and leave really quickly and like get to the NBA. He's, he's just sitting for a year. So it's a pretty wild, uh, pretty wild move. And let me say you guys down in Ann Arbor thought that Xavier Simpson couldn't shoot buddy. Let me tell you something. Oh. You are about so, to see a display of not shooting. So, so Nojal Eastern, I believe he was a few credits short of graduating at Purdue, which let's say he were to somehow be able to finish that this summer. And again, I'm speculating. Mm-hmm. He, he may be able to apply for a transfer um, oh, waiver okay. so that, that he could play right away. So that's that was did not know that. You know, that's important. Had Quinn kind of threw that scenario out there. Um, now it doesn't mean it's going to come to fruition, but um, that leaves a backcourt where the you got to be pretty liberal with the word shooting guard when you think about <laughs> folks that would play that position for Michigan. Eli Brooks and. Nojel Eastern, and frankly, I'm a little. I speak on behalf of other shooting guards from across the world. Offensive that they would use. They need to use the the. No, they're the two guard, not the shooting guard. <laughs> We're going numbers here. 
But um, yeah, you know that's that's their it's problem. Not be great. Not ours. No, it sure isn't. Um, um, let's see. That, let's, that's going to be interesting. Let's see. Then um, uh, there's there's a few other things that are floating out in the ether. A few other programs um, waiting on some guys who are trying to reclassify to the 2020 class and um, perhaps would make moves um, all to all to be determined. But but really, if you kind of look at the Big Ten as a whole, Austin, beyond Xavier Tillman, Isaiah Livers, and I guess Luca Garza, who I think is pretty sure is he's going to be staying, the conference is pretty much settled as as who who's going to be a um who's going to be favored and who's not. So who do you th- I think the favorites for us we talked about Wisconsin um yep Indiana's going to have a nice team coming back, you know, Iowa with Luca Garza national player of the year um and then Michigan State but but It'll it'll be an interesting year. I just don't think there's anyone that really has separated themselves. Yeah, I don't think you? you're looking at like a no. I don't think you're looking at you know a runaway favorite situation as you know we've had with MSU a couple of years back with the Miles Bridges teams. Uh, I think you're 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 absolutely right. You're kind of got a mixed bag. I mean, I'll put Michigan State up there with with anybody. I mean, when you're talking. You know, you've got, I would say Wisconsin's probably the, the next favorite. Aside from that, I'll believe Indiana when I see it. <laughs> That's kind of where I'm at with them. I think Iowa, Iowa's another team, um, that I think will honestly, I bet Iowa, well, it depends because if Langford and Tillman and Henry all come back from Michigan State, I think Michigan State probably is the team that gets picked, uh, as kind of like that, that prohibitive preseason favorite just because they have, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to say the most known, but because Luca Garza is national player of the year. Um, but they, I think people are just a little more comfortable with Michigan State as a program than Iowa. But, uh, you know, if, if any of those guys kind of go pro or anything, I think Iowa probably is the, the favorite. Now, I think what'll be interesting is to see how they do with that title if that does end up happening because yeah. I mean, when's the last time Iowa basketball was the conference like favorite has that ever happened before yeah i i not in my lifetime it's been a, right. been a while so um yeah and you're right you know there are expectations on you know having a target on their back not everyone handles that well so um right. yeah i don't know how they'll handle it especially with a really calm force like fran mccaffrey as your head coach right he surely won't let things uh, you know, get in, get under his skin when it comes to people saying he's better or worse than his team actually is. So yeah, you've got a level-headed guy in, in charge. I don't know what could go wrong. Um, all right, let's do two quick shout-outs before we take a commercial break. Um, one, TBT. If you're unfamiliar, the basketball tournament is um a a tournament for where they play for, I believe, $2 million total, winner take all. And a yeah. new team has been created, Team Detroit, and apparently has four former Spartans agreed to be a part. Kalen Lucas, Jarrell Summers, Brandon Dawson, and Brandon Wood. I, I mean, that's a pretty solid 
four spot. I don't know who else they all have. Um, but I kind of feel pretty good about that team rolling out of a court. I mean, I certainly would. I'll be watching that one just for the nostalgia factor. Uh, and to see how high Darrell Summers manages to look all these years later. Um, but those are four <laughs> dudes that, uh, they balled once upon a time, man. All of them. I gotta imagine Darrell Summers is probably, or excuse me, um, oh god, what, Brandon Dawson is probably gonna have the best, uh, vertical leap of any of the people in this tournament. So excited to see him lead the whole thing in rebounding. That'll be fun. Um, but yeah, man, this is pretty cool. Uh-huh. Yeah. I wonder who else they'll pick up. Um, we'll, I'll keep a lookout on that and, and add to the list if any other Spartans join. The other shout out, um, is some donation shouts. So, uh, thank you to everyone who's listened and streamed because you know that we donate the money to um, the cause of the people's choice um, this past month's um, donation went to the survivor fund at Michigan State as voted on by you the listeners but we wanted to give a special shout out to Jacob Baker and Joe Furstel, uh, you know friends of the program and and really appreciate their incredibly generous donations to you know a cause that both Austin and I and the Spartan community hold very close and, and dear. So thank you to you guys. And um, we're looking forward to the next round of donation where, where you guys can tell us, you know, float to us what are some worthy causes and, and we'll float it out there and see what, uh, what everyone feels. But again, thanks to Jacob and Joe. Um, That's huge. And especially in a time like this, um, knowing that, they're get, making sure that, that those MSU survivors are getting the support they need, um, perhaps in different ways. Those dollars will go a long way. So, so thanks again. Yeah, huge shout out to both of you guys and to everybody else who who may have donated and not let us know about it. Um, by all means, you know, you certainly don't have to. We're happy to shout you out and retweet you and all that good stuff. But uh, just doing the right thing is certainly more than enough. So we appreciate you guys for doing that. And um, with that, let's take a quick commercial break. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Man, we're back. Let's see. How close do you think? They're a little, probably a little rusty on that one, so there's really no telling how close we're going to come to getting that right. But uh, we'll find out. Do you think you can um, explain why? Can you explain why it's difficult? I think people, the people want to know. The, the people want to know. It, so when you have to place these ads based on, like, the, the software that we uh, use that SB Nation has given us, um, you have to actually look at the waveform. Uh, like of the audio file and select where you want to place these, which is why we, you know, kind of stop. And uh, a decent amount of the time we don't stop for long enough and I forget to write down the timestamps. So I'm kind of guessing. <laughs> um, so yeah, just, I mean, as you guys know, we have tremendously high production value standards here at this podcast. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't perfect. give you guys, 
I wouldn't give you guys anything less than the best. But yeah, I, it's really just because I am dumb and forget to write down the timestamps sometimes. I did it this time and, uh, we'll see how, uh, how close we can get. Well, speaking of kind of dumb people, let's talk about a pro- from a guy that's kind of dumb, but honestly, we didn't hate. Jim Harbaugh came up with yeah. a, a concept of sorts. Why don't you, you know, I dog him a little bit, but there was some merit to some of these things. It's not completely flushed out, but let's take a walk through his proposal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so Jim Harbaugh uh, certainly views himself as uh, somewhat of a, a renaissance man. And um, he's clearly having some real issues with quarantine brains because uh, he's got more time on his hands, certainly, than he's probably ever had in his life. And he's trying to put it to good use. And I can certainly appreciate that. And what he's done is essentially put out like some version of a manifesto that talks about all of his personal beliefs of how the college football system could change, get better, and all this good stuff. And there really are some solid points in there. Uh, so there's really five main points that he brings up that he would like to see the NCAA adopt or adjust. First is he believes all players, regardless of how old they are, what year they are, should be able to enter the dra- NFL draft at any point and return, if not drafted, in the top 224 picks. I love that number because it feels very random. Um, but if I'm going <laughs> to hold on, this is the ma- this is the math part. Yep, that's 224 is divided by 30. There's 32 teams? Yeah. Yep, so that's seven rounds. Okay, checks out. Could have just said the draft, Jim, but you decided to (laughs) put that Michigan degree to work. Uh, All right, so if they're not drafted or signed as a free agent, they could also, like, choose to sign somebody. Uh, And they don't sign an agent, they could come back. The next is a blanket five-year eligibility clock, so no need for a red shirt. Third, lifting the hard cap of 25 incoming recruits and transfers per year. Fourth, allowing players and their families to have more freedom to seek advice from agents. And then fifth, and this is kind of like in his also, like already talked about this one, but want to bring it up again, the one-time transfer rule where a student athlete can transfer and not sit out. So five big points there. Um, John, I'm curious if any of these jumped out at you as something you really believe in. Uh, so let's, let's start there. Which one of these or multiple of these did you think, wow, that's a really good point, Jim? I think for me, I, I'll admit, I don't have the line of sight, you know, that he deals with or any coach deals with on a day to day. I think they all made sense. I'm sure there are some glaring loopholes as to why some of these may or may not work. The only one that jumped out to me where I was like, do we need to do that? is the lifting the hard cap of 25 incoming recruits and transfers per year. I get a little nervous about that because if coaches can come and go as they please, I get nervous about them kind of like running others off the program, spamming in a bunch of new recruits, um, most of which will never have a chance maybe to make it and don't realize it until they get there. Now, I understand they have the one-time transfer rule, rule to fall back on but it would be a shame to kind of have to use it because your coach I mentioned spammed uh you know 30 recruits in a year and then right. bolted the next year you know what I mean like it can just get a little hairy for me so I think there's maybe what he's trying to say but for me it's like why 
I do we, why would, in what world do you need more than 25 recruits in a class if you only have, yes. what is it, you know, 85 yes. roster spots? So I, I didn't get that one, but I'm sure there's reason for it. But that was the only one that I was like, eh, I don't know. How about you? Yeah, I would, I would totally agree with that. I think it's, it's to me, it was kind of funny because that's, by far the most self-serving of these rules for Michigan football, where he would love, he would take 50 kids a year if he could. I mean, if you, it's actually funny because if you go back to like the days of when Nebraska was a powerhouse and you look Mm -hmm. at their recruiting, they used to do this exact same thing where they would sign a million kids in a class. Cause at one point in time, there was no incoming uh, Mm -hmm. limit, but like you said, it was changed for a reason, I think is the best way to put it. Um, so to me, I agree with that wholeheartedly because it just it, it would exacerbate a problem that already exists in that why would a kid like you would you would consolidate power within college football even more than it already is. And if we want to be completely yes. honest, it's consolidated to a handful of teams like if you're elite, mm-hmm. why would you go anywhere with like two or three schools, especially? And it also creates like super teams like that for sure would happen where these kids would all get together and say, hey, top 15 recruits, let's all go to Clemson. Like that would definitely happen and it would happen quickly. So I, I definitely think that that's that's a bad one. Um, I do think to give him credit, though. I love the one-time transfer rule. Completely agree with him there because, like you said, if coaches can come and go, why can't players? I totally agree with that. Um, allowing players and their families to have more freedom to seek advice from agents, I think, is a great proposal as well. It really mirrors, you know, theoretically mirrors what the NBA has done, which is, I think, universally a, a great um, system. I don't see any reason they shouldn't be able to go get feedback. Uh, and... The other one that I loved is the blanket five-year eligibility clock. I think that's okay. great. I, I think that um, – I mean, we're more or less there right now because there's the – you know, they, they loosen the restrictions on, you know, kids can play in up to four games and still redshirt now as opposed to never at all. So we're already trending this direction. I like the thought that kids can come in and play – uh, and you've just got five years, no matter what. So whether you can play as a freshman is, is mm-hmm. totally up to you. Um, and then I, I think what you would have to do if you put that into place is kind of revisit, though, you know, what now are the parameters for being eligible to go to the draft? And that's where I sort of take issue with what he's saying here, being able to enter the draft at any point and return to school if not drafted. Um I I still think that there should be some type of uh like maybe shortening the window so it's two years out of high school or something like that maybe not three yeah, anymore uh and and updating the rule but getting rid of it altogether to me like I don't think it's dangerous but I think you're opening the door you're you're introducing a a really crazy element to to college football. And I almost think that you would have to have larger rosters if this was the case, because think about it from a coach's perspective, like your, your recruiting class for the next year is already signed before your, you know, which of your seniors or juniors or sophomores or freshmen that declared for the draft might come back. Like how can you plan a roster that way? It would be a, it would be chaos. So 
Um, not that I feel bad for a college coach, you know, they're doing fine, but I just wonder, like, what I have a feeling would happen is that you'd get a great freshman class. And so if, you know, let's say I'm, you know, or you're a junior or a sophomore, you have a great season. So you declare for the draft, but you get drafted later than you expected. Well, you, we've already recruited your replacement. So there's really not a place for you here anymore. So you get kind of screwed in, do I go back? and have to contend with this guy and possibly hurt my draft stock even more, or I just stick where I am. I think it, it just would, um, I'm just not sure how that one would work necessarily, but I like a lot of, a lot of these points he makes in here, like the five-year eligibility, I think is great. Allowing players more, uh, you know, advice from agents and the one-time transfer. I think he's really hit on some, some positive notes that would make a big difference in college football. You know, I think, the, the, for me, the takeaway is, man, um, you know, maybe you put Harbaugh on a room and you put a handful of other long tenured college coaches in the same room. They're going to come up with I mean, they'll be able to really identify the pain points of their not just for them, but just for college football. Like if they put on the the, the cap of not just how does how do I make college football better for me, but just how do I make the sport better? Um you're going to get a lot of really good ideas and frankly ideas that probably aren't that difficult to uh, put into practice. Um, I would hope that uh, the NCAA or, or even conferences consider getting that feedback a little more often um, and trying some of that stuff out. Um, I know it's kind of difficult um, to make sweeping changes um, all at once, but Frankly, a lot of these ideas are not groundbreaking. Um, we've right. been talking about them for a while. I mean, at what point do you pull the trigger and give it a shot, right? Um, I don't know. I just, I just think, I think, I think the NCA might be missing out on a lot of really great stuff out of stubbornness. And um, yes. this is the one time where I'm like, listen to Jim Harbaugh. He he might know what he's talking about. <laughs> the last time. Yeah, just don't listen. Don't listen to him about like all the milk that he's going to make his kids. Make. Yeah, like, don't exactly. listen to him about that part, but the rest. Yeah, sure. Why not, man? I think he's got some good points and I think it's really more like, I appreciate what he's trying to do. Go all in, go for the big, the, you know, the home run when in reality, a single or a double on any of these issues would be yep. uh, a very welcome change, I think, and really, a really quite a positive one. So, I thought that was a really interesting thing that came out since our last episode. So I'm glad we got the chance to, uh, to talk about it, but there was some other stuff that we wanted to get to here as well, since we are, you know, looking forward to the future, uh, football season that will hopefully take place. Um, and John, you wanted to go through some FPI. Yeah. I felt comfortable with these next two segments because yeah, I'll be honest. A couple of weeks ago, I, I wasn't because I was, we were kind of staring no football head on, you know, I, that's very much yep. still a possibility, but I feel maybe a little more confident that it could happen now that we've started to hear some chatter from um, universities, conferences, the NCAA on maybe what solution oriented. Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. He came out and said something about playing. Um, in front of, he's, he's like, yeah, I'll play in front of nobody. I don't care. Total, total football guy move. Exactly. So, you know, I want to be clear, you know, neither Austin and I are advocating for anything that wouldn't be 100% safe for all the 
people playing and in attendance. And the reason we wanted to chat football is just because we were like, if we can come up with some pretty cool solutions and know that all the student athletes are going to be safe, like let's talk about it. So with that, yeah, the FBI, uh, ESPN's um, method of, of, you know, projecting the year, um, wins and losses for every team came out a couple weeks ago, I believe. And, um, it didn't like Michigan State. I'll be, I'll be honest. It was, <laughs> it was a bad luck. In fact, this projecting the second worst record in the entire conference, um, Yikes. going four and eight folks. Um, yeah. I mean, I usually like being the, I guess, cautious, you know, one in the room, they really went over and beyond on the pessimism. So <laughs> didn't love that they thought Rutgers was going to w- win more games than MSU. Oh, uh, boy. That was a good But um, for it, just for to, to give you a clear path here, Ohio State, um, far and away the favorite, projected to win over 11 games in their season, followed by Penn State in the in the east at 10 and essentially two indiana then following at 7.7 and 4.3 michigan 7.4 4.6 it's kind of surprised by that by the way rutgers 4.2 wins and 7.8 losses michigan state four wins eight losses and maryland 3.8 wins 8.2 losses i was for the east before we go to the west i was a little surprised for the um the anti-Michigan University slander, you know, both Wolverine and Spark. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm not really shocked by the fact that they don't think Michigan State is going to be a great team. Four and eight seems quite low. Um, but again, I, I mean, I know the FPI factors in uh, recruiting as well, which those numbers are not kind to, to Michigan State. Michigan is, is, is a little, I mean, Surprising that they're only predicting about seven and a half to eight wins. I think it's funny, uh, more than anything else to see them, you know, below Indiana, um, sandwiched between Indiana and Rutgers it is pretty funny. But, um, yeah, I mean, listen, Michigan has to replace a lot. There's a lot of guys that left that program, uh, that were big time playmakers, uh, on, on both sides of the ball. Uh, you know, you lost your quarterback, you lost Donovan Peoples Jones. Um, I think they lost what four of their five starting offensive linemen. So there's a lot that has to get rebuilt on that side of the ball. And then defensively, um, you know, they lost a handful of guys over there as well. I think Levert Hill's gone, uh, and a handful of others. So, you know, it's, there's a, a lot to be, uh, worried about and, uh, they play in a really tough division. So a little surprised, um, on both accounts, but uh, you know, after you kind of dive into the numbers a little, it's not shocking. And then some serious Penn State love. Um, over ten wins predicted. Now, I mean, I think they're the the. I don't want to say they might. Yeah, they might be the sneaky pick because Wisconsin is clearly favored on the West, but Penn State is kind of the seemingly largest challenger here. Um, in the yeah. conference outside of Ohio State and Wisconsin. Um, you know, will they be able to, to kind of get over the hump? They did once, I guess, get over the hump, um, and win it all one year. Um, but they host Ohio State this year. So, um, 
that's the big one uh, to to keep circled on the calendar. Shall we go to the West okay. Division? Absolutely. So, so Wisconsin um, projected at just under 11 wins on the season. This is shop, shocking to me. Northwestern, the second highest, most projected wins in the Big Ten West, off a three and nine season. Northwestern is projected to win 7.7 games. I have I struggle with that because mm-hmm. while they do have probably one of the easiest non-con schedules, um, three layups pretty much in the non-con, I just in a conference that features Wisconsin, Minnesota, and now Iowa, uh, and then you even throw in if Nebraska's even half as real as they tell you they are. I don't see Northwestern finish, finishing second. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, seven-plus wins for Northwestern seems seems aggressive. Like, I know Minnesota lost a lot, but they're bringing back, like, their quarterback and several of their big offensive weapons. So uh, I would I would probably put um, them second overall, right, in that division. Mm-hmm. If out of nothing else, out of respect, Um Wisconsin being that high is not surprising. Uh, I would pretty much agree with with that take. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know about you know Northwestern. I think uh, Iowa, as always, to me is this is the sneaky one. Seven and five couldn't be a there there couldn't be a more perfect uh, Iowa projection if you tried. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, this one seems fairly accurate. I, I think it's interesting that really the one that jumps out to me is that Purdue is dead last. I mean, I, I know they didn't have a good season at all last year, but um, boy, that shine has worn off of the Jeff Brown bandwagon very quickly. Well, here's the problem for Purdue. Um, we'll talk about their non-con in a second. <laughs> Beyond being not good. They also um, have have to go at Michigan um, for the Big Ten East crossover, though they do get Rutgers at home. But, again, their non-con is not kind. And then um, they do play at Minnesota um, and um, at Nebraska. And I just obviously don't feel good about them being able to beat Wisconsin or Iowa, even if it is at home. So, you know, I, I mean – it's Purdue, man. What do you, let's not pretend like it's any great shakes. Like, you know, they can get as hyped as they want, but at the end of the day, you're probably the worst program in the Big Ten in the last 25 years. You know, it's, you're up and it's, it's arguable. You're still Purdue um, is, the, is the moral of the story I'm taking home from this. Yeah, they need to calm down a little bit if anyone's going to get upset about it. Um, <laughs> The ones that are going to get most upset, um, while Minnesota definitely has a has a gripe being projected at 7.6 wins, it's going to be your Nebraska Cornhuskers who believe for some odd reason that they're anointed nine wins every year. They're like wannabe Michigan in my head. Um, you know, they, they wish they had the success that Michigan does, and even then it wouldn't be enough. But, yeah, 5.8 wins projected is – is not a great look for our friend Scott Frost over in Lincoln. Like, yeah, you gotta wonder come. if you gotta wonder how hot his seat gets. 
if that comes to fruition this year, I mean, I think it's like a Harbaugh situation though, right? Where you bring him back your, your, your guy. It's like, if it doesn't work, what do you, what do you do? Well, not, not our problem. We got um, big Mel (laughs) and I'm feeling confident with him Um, to round it out. You know, Illinois, 5.4 5.4 wins, and as you mentioned, Purdue 4.9. The, the thing of it is, the Big Ten West for me is actually going to be a lot of fun this year. Um, and, you know, I don't know if there's any – Wisconsin might be a really good team, um, but I don't think they get the cakewalk they have been used to been, be getting the last however many years. Um, I think it's the teams are have all upped their game a little bit. It's fun in like watching a t-ball game is fun. Where it's like, <laughs> these kids, you know what? They're just having a good time. Like, let them go have their fun. And it, none of it matters. No one's keeping score. They're there to eat the candy and pick the dandelions in the outfield. Uh, the big boys are taking care of the other stuff. And that's Wisconsin. I think it's just a battle for second place. I do agree with you. I think they're probably more prime. Wisconsin's probably more prime. Uh, for an upset this year than any other year because um, they lost a lot of really good players. And I think maybe the general friskiness of the conference, um, I don't really know if there's like a full on like gimme game. I mean, Purdue for as much as we want to shit on them, they still have Rondale Moore who can win a game for you, you know? So it, it still uh, exists and it's still, um, you know, they, they're going to have to play a lot of tough games. All right, guys, and we are going to wrap up here with uh, some crutes, some crutin' updates, some people you might see on the field here. Since we last talked to you guys, the uh, Michigan State crutin' hype train hasn't really slowed down much. A um, couple new faces have uh, joined. Actually, I'm not sure that there are any new ones since the last time we talked, but we wanted to go through and talk about three specifically that um, – have stood out at us as maybe playing as true freshmen? Yeah, maybe. Well, we just wanted to talk <laughs> about him in general. Um, Cam Allen, tight end out of out of Texas, Dallas area. Um, this is a guy that maybe jumped to me as actually maybe getting a chance just because the tight end is such a uh, – you've talked about it at nauseum. About Weapon. A, a spot. Yeah, be featured – and if he, he's 6'5", 220 already, um, shoot, I don't know. I mean, I truly no one knows how the tight end will be utilized. And this guy might just be um, the perfect fit. But, yeah, he had offers from Arizona, Missouri, Boise State. Um, this guy just kind of jumped off to me as, as a potential uh, first-year guy. Yeah, and I, uh, it's funny you say that because I, um, I did a little bit of reading about him. First of all, thank you for giving the tight ends the respect they deserve, uh, first and foremost. But, um, I, do it. I read about this guy and apparently right now the system he plays in, uh, doesn't even utilize a tight end. Like his high school doesn't utilize a tight end. So he's essentially playing like big body receiver now. And I think that that might really work to his, uh, to, in his favor, I would say, as, in terms of getting on the field early, um, because he could probably run in either position group. I have a feeling they're not going to run him as a receiver, but, you know, you'd feel comfortable putting him out there in passing downs, 
and depending on what the offense looks like, there might be two tight ends out there and they might be targets of the passing attack more often than not or more often than previously. So um, I would agree with you just on the physicals alone. He looks like a guy that, that could probably contribute. There were a couple other DBs that we were considering uh, kind of put in there, new names, Charles Brantley, Chuck Brantley, um, who committed recently from Venice, Florida. He checks in at six feet tall, which is the shout out Colton Pouncey. Um, <laughs> he had offers yeah. from, from a lot of different places, including Florida State. Uh, I know, I believe the connection there was that, um, uh, what was it? I think he's related to somebody that, that used to play for Michigan State. I can't remember who it is, but also I believe, um, he was being recruited by, the former Florida State defensive coordinator, Harlan Barnett. Um, what do you think? Um, everything's up in the air. This is one area. Um, cornerbacks are especially, uh, I guess you would say, an area of concern going into the season. So there will be a lot of folks who get a lot of looks. You always get nervous about a true freshman cornerback. And if you're digging that deep, um, we have bigger problems. Uh, but, you know, as you mentioned, he did was offered by some big boys, including Florida State, others including State, uh, and beat out uh, regular foes that Michigan State usually has recruiting battles with, um, Virginia Pitt, Maryland, Louisville, and Indiana. So, um, you know, maybe. I, I almost want don't want it to be the case because if you're trotting out a six foot one sixty kid, I don't love it. Um, but hey, this might be a special teams guy um, in the first year. Um, what are your thoughts on Michael Gravely Jr.? He was the one that I think a lot of people were surprised by his commitment. Um, Three star safety from the Cleveland area. First of all, love seeing Michigan State getting kids from all three of these states: Texas, Florida, Ohio. No better place, literally no better places to go for, um, football mm. talent. So that's fantastic, especially Cleveland area where MSU's done well in the past. Um, I kind of don't see it. I mean, if he's coming in as a safety, uh, if anything, that's probably where MSU's got some players. Uh, Xavier Henderson, uh, you know, Dominique Long, I know has been played at safety before. Um, kind of tough to say beyond that. Michael Dowell, I think might be back there. So, uh, there are some upperclassmen in his way. And then just additionally, safety is typically where you send the corners who don't always work out at corner. So I would assume he's, he's a little far down the, down the list. But I think the reason why, you know, either of these guys are really getting solid consideration is because A, like you said, depth chart, like who knows? Like we, we have no idea. You just lost Josiah Scott, who's really the only sure thing. Um, and then additionally, within their class, you don't know how many DBs are going to be a part of that class and what's going to shake. And that kind of brings us to the last part of this conversation, which is Gabe Spida Neely, uh, who has been um, the, probably the most vocal member of the Michigan State recruiting class to date. Uh, there are some smoke that he is looking around, potentially decommitting, and it's one of those things where – I feel like we might be reading a little too far into the Instagram and Twitter accounts of a 17 or 18 year old kid. Um, yeah. Do you have any thoughts I, on this, John, before I yeah. dive in? 
Yeah, he hasn't decommitted. And frankly, it, I think what we need to remember is, I don't I mean, you and I definitely didn't live this life. I don't know if any of our listeners have, but being recruited to play Division One football would probably be one of the coolest things ever. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're getting really, a lot of really awesome att- attention from a lot of really cool places. And I would encourage everyone to take all five of their visits. I know it's a little different now, but like, take your time in the process. And even if you knew you were like, I'm a Michigan State Spartan, I don't think there's anything wrong with, <laughs> you know, enjoying all the, the fun and that could come with a recruiting process. Um, so again, he hasn't decommitted. Doesn't mean he won't, but I, I think you're right. Like, let's just all let a kid be 17 here and enjoy being recruited by other places. Yeah. And the other part of this, I think you put that really well. I think the other part of this is part of the transition from Mark D'Antonio to a new head coach and a new regime. D'Antonio had a very hard line stance. Sometimes it to his detriment. A lot of the times it probably worked out for him. But that was to, you know, once you're committed to Michigan State, you're you're not going other places and taking other visits. Uh you're you're not able to do that. They'll pull your scholarship. It happened many times throughout his tenure. Um, some in more high profile cases than others, but that was just kind of the way business was done. Um it, it seems pretty apparent that that probably it, it's fair to assume, I should say. That's not going to be the uh, standard bearer case for uh, Mel Tucker. He, he seems, you know, pretty progressive on all fronts. And this, this is, you know, nothing, nothing new. You got to remember this guy coached in the SEC, like kids commit and flip all the time. Uh, and uh, this is just something that while I don't think it'll be a trend necessarily for Michigan state, you know, having kids still entertaining other offers while committed, like you don't want to become that, you know, feeder school, if you will, or that stepping stone school, obviously, but this is part of swimming in the deep end, right? Like if we want to be the bag throwers, we want to be the, you know, competing with the big boys and recruiting and stuff. This is the type of stuff that's going to happen. You're not, you don't, you don't get to dictate terms the way Mark D'Antonio did for a long time. And uh, w- with this level of, you know, with with a higher level of recruit, and that's not to say that, um, you know, Spider Neely is you know some five star or anything like that. He seems like a really good player, one that we're all excited to have, no doubt. But uh, listen, you want to you want to play this game. Sometimes these are the stakes. So I think everybody at MSU needs to kind of, uh, you know, in the fan base, get a little more comfortable with some uncertainty when it comes to. Um, you know, what are table stakes in the recruiting world? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I hope everyone continues to support, support Gabe or any other absolutely player that might think he wanted to be a Spartan and then changes his mind. I mean, I mean, I just, I can't emphasize enough. These guys are so young and I couldn't decide um, what I wanted for lunch when I was a 17 year old. Today. So, like making a huge yeah, exactly. So uh, I hope everyone can chill their Twitter fingers if if you ever thinking you should tweet at a recruit. The answer is always no. oh my god. Um, this is that's this is the perfect time to remind everybody that rule one a of the internet is do not tweet at recruits. Just don't do it. You don't want to be that guy that does that. 
uh, and it doesn't work out, it doesn't look good, it, you're not going to be the one that convinces some kid to come to Michigan State, but you might be the one that convinces them not to come to Michigan State. So, so knowing that, you know what I mean? We're not going to name names. Yeah. But if you find yourself tweeting at a teenager, communicating with a teenager that you're not related to and, and that has never met you, don't. That's it. Simple advice. Pretty, Everyone should pretty easy. It. Don't do it. Um, quick, quick thing, Austin. Um, last topic. As the 2021 class is, you know, in flux, um, taking shape, I wanted to throw a question at you. Um, how do you, A, how are you feeling about it? And B, um, how, I would, would like your take on the approach and the type of player that you've seen, I guess, now that we have over almost a dozen players, you know, what are you liking and, and maybe even yearning more of with the re- remaining spots? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say what I love about first and foremost is the approach from Michigan State. It's a much more modern approach when it comes to, you know, engagement on social media, being having honestly just a much more like open uh, office hours, if you will. I mean, Mel Tucker and the staff, they're doing Instagram takeovers. The graphics team is on a whole nother planet than they were on recently. Uh, with some of the photo edits and stuff they're sending out. Everybody's familiar with the graphic of, or the gif of the hammer. Like MSU is doing what they hadn't done before, which is really establish kind of a brand for themselves on social media. Um, and I think that's the advantage of having a guy like Mel Tucker, who, um, you know, has been exposed to some of these is maybe just a little bit, uh, younger and, and more, uh, you know, in touch with this generation, what they want as kids are a little younger, all that stuff. Um, and how to speak to them. So I, first of all, I love that. I love that energy that's been brought to the program. Um, in terms of the strategy player wise, um, I think it's exciting. Uh, I think it's a, about as stark a contrast as you can have to what, you know, Mark D'Antonio and his staff did very successfully, very successfully for a long time. Um, which was, you know, maybe you don't concentrate as much on the physicals. Obviously they're important. But you're really more concentrating on, um, you know, finding kids that kind of fit your mindset and your program, I think, more than anything else. And what Mel Tucker is doing is kind of flipping that on its head and saying, I'm going to get the best possible, like, I'm going to get the best balls to clay that I can find, and I'm going to make them, they are going to be my program. I'm not, so, you know, we don't really know style of play. I mean, I, I think we have our assumptions. So, I, you know, this could change a little bit in the future, but, you know, I think he's trying to get the biggest, most talented physical specimens. Uh, and if nothing else, look, um, you know, have the measurables to be great and just rely on his coaching to turn those those balls of clay into great, um, you know, system capable uh, players. So I, I think yeah. the exciting part is going to be that getting off the bus, MSU is going to look really, really good right away. Yeah, you know was interesting to me is, you know, Mel was dealt a really challenging hand. Um, and I, I would go as far to say that while this recruiting class, you know, if you're, you're stars, whatever guy, it might look similar to some of the D'Antonio classes. I think for me, the difference is I'm not sure MSU gets the easily 
11 or even 11 guys, period, at this end of the year if D'Antonio is still the head coach. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, take that for what it's worth. I, I just don't see him with any of the moment. He had no momentum, you know. I, I just – there wasn't a lot of excitement around the program. Add in a pandemic and um, things just were, were looking pretty stale. Sub and Mel, while, again, the numbers, stars, ZZZ, you know, may look similar – MSU doesn't have anything like this, in my opinion, if Mel isn't the head coach. And it, it's my, of my opinion that this is going to be the lowest rated quote unquote class that Mel will have while he has at Michigan State because he was also put into a difficult situation where he needed to essentially um, make sure he had a full class, you know, right. like, and, and it's not to say that he went and got lower rated guys. It means that he went out and got guys that he knew would sign right there and then because he didn't have the luxury of getting into um, a dozen different four and five star recruiting battles and losing out um, and then being stuck, you know, flapping in the wind with nothing. So I think this was a really smart strategy. Um, I think now that he has a base um, of guys that he feels really confident about, he can go out and start um, looking for those guys that maybe he felt might not have had a as good of a chance to land um, those those really high rated guys. But you still have to go for them, um, and some of them are even in state, and we've started to see that now. Um, some momentum uh, Mel's picking up with with some of those uh, top one top three hundred guys. So. It, you know, I feel good about it. I feel compared to what the situation could have been, um, I feel really good about um, what Mel Tucker's brought to the table. And as I mentioned, I I think this is the, the best is yet to come as it relates to recruiting. So, yeah, and I think you – we even kind of said that kind of in the season post-mortem and towards the end of the season of like, that jolt of electricity and energy was something that was gone. I mean, that just didn't, wasn't a thing with this program. And that was kind of the, the upside of if there was going to be a change, you know, one of the positives from it would be this injection of, of energy. And what's crazy and where I completely agree with you is like Mel Tucker's done that in spades. I mean, the fact that he hasn't even been able to like probably go to more than a handful of high schools. I mean, he was hired in what, February? You know, in, in one of the worst times of year when you can hire a college football coach, he has come through, done fantastically. Uh, and I think is probably, you know, already making notes. I'm sure, well, I know they put out a lot of offers to higher ranked kids in the 2021 class. Um, and really trying to make those inroads at those power programs now so that when those big battles become something and like, you know, a true battleground for MSU again, he's going to have inroads and places to go. So um, it, it's super exciting. Uh, and, you know, right now it feels really good because it's hope and hope springs eternal and that's great. Um, hopefully they can carry that over to the, to the regular season and we can actually get some football games in this fall. Um, I think that about does, does it for us today, John. Anything else before uh, we let the people go? No, I, I I'm looking forward to to getting some more. Um, 
some more certainty in the in the basketball roster and even the football roster and Amen. hopefully we will we will be giving you those breaking news along the way but yeah for now we're spent we're spent we can only do so much um <laughs> guys as always we love talking to you thank you for joining us um hopefully yeah like you said john we'll get some more breaking news we can come back and and do this a little bit more uh sooner rather than than later Sounds good to me. But, um, all right, cool. All right, guys, as always, thanks for joining us. We appreciate you sticking with us. Uh, stay healthy, stay safe, and we will catch you guys next time. See ya.